God's grace and God's mercy and his peace are, are yours in abundance through our Lord and our Savior Jesus. We're going to look at the gospel lesson for this morning, and I'd like to just read verse 6 of Luke chapter 13 one more time. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may these words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our strength and our rock, our redeemer, our savior. Amen. Well, let me uh, start out this morning by saying that uh, Karen and I, we, we love our grandchildren. They are such a blessing to us, God's gift. And he has gifted us and, and blessed us with, with 10 of them. And we love each one of them dearly. Now, as you know, I'm just, we're, we're just back from spending a month in Arizona, in the Phoenix area, in order to be close to our son, Marty, and our beautiful daughter-in-law, Amanda, and four of those 10 grandchildren, Lucy, Sam, Caden, and Gabe. And we were blessed to be able to spend a lot of what I will call ordinary time with them this last month. And by ordinary time, I mean just stuff that happens for them day in and day out. Their routines, their, their normal pace of life, like going to Caden's baseball games and going to Lucy's volleyball games and going to Sam's track meets and picking them up after school and helping them with their homework and, and being able to go to church with them. All of those ordinary things. What a, a blessing it was. It was all good. All good. But I have to tell you that over the course of the month, there was something that was reaffirmed for Karen and I that we knew about our grandchildren, but saw it again up close and personal. They're not perfect. <laughs> they have sinful natures, which they inherited from their parents, and which at least one of those parents inherited from me. Now, I'm, I, I won't disclose the name of this particular grandson, but uh, I, I just want to share a few things uh, about this particular grandson in order to make a couple of points from today's gospel lesson, the two points that I want to make. And one of those points involves our, our, repent, our need to repent and to actually do it, okay? And, and the other point has to do with the patience and, and the grace of God, which enables us to do exactly that, repent of our sins. Now, this, uh, this particular uh, grandson, he has trouble telling the truth. Several times over the course of this last month, I caught him 
in lies. Lies about what kind of homework he had or had to do or whether or not he had actually finished that homework or when his mom and dad were gone and grandma and I were in charge of them, uh, lies as with regards to what his parents would allow him to do, <laughs> say it was okay. And each time he lied to me, I would confront him with the truth. And I would talk to him about being a truther, someone who always tells the truth. And, and I would talk to him about the damage that lying does to us and how it makes it real hard for anyone to trust someone who is always telling lies. And that he, that he needed to change. And he would look at me as I'm telling him these things and, and, and he would nod in agreement as I was telling these things and he would, he would say all the things in those moments that he knew that he needed to say. But I could tell from the look in his eyes that his heart wasn't in it. He was saying all the right things, but I knew in his heart he was not embracing the right things. He didn't see a need to change. He wasn't going to change. He would lie again. And he did. So one night when Karen and I had the kids and we were putting them to bed and I was putting this particular grandson to bed, we had another talk about telling the truth and being a truther and how important that was. And after I finished saying that, and you have to remember this about this grandson, um, Marty and Amanda have adopted two boys, and he's one of them, okay? And I told him to look me in the eye. After, after we finished our prayers, I said, no, now look me in the eye, because I want to tell you something. So he's looking me in the eye, and I look at him, I say, you're my grandson. And I love you. We love you. Nothing will ever change that. You're our grandson. And I love you. That's my version of what I hear Jesus saying to us in today's gospel lesson about our need for repentance and his patient, never-ending love for us. Listen to it again. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. 
but unless you repent, you too will perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. What is Jesus saying to us with those words? Here's how I think we can apply them to ourselves. I think he's saying to us, don't think, and this is something I shared with the folks Wednesday at Lenten service, don't think you're not on the list of people who need to repent. Don't think you're not on that list. Don't think that somehow everybody else you meet, everybody else you are with is a, is a greater sinner than you are. Yes, they need to repent, but no, I don't need to repent. Don't think that the sins you need to repent of are not that serious and not that offensive to God that he wants you to repent and change of them. Don't think that. Don't make excuses for the wrongs that you know are wrong and yet you do them. Don't make excuses and somehow justify those actions so as to excuse yourself from needing to repent. You're on the list. You and I are. Because as Karen and I discovered again about our grandchildren, they're sinners. They have a sinful nature. Discover that about yourself again today. You're a sinner. And you have a sinful nature. And you've acted on it. And you need to repent. And, and, and that means more than just saying you're sorry. It means real change. It means, as I was trying to illustrate to the children, repentance is going this direction. No, I need to turn and go this direction. Repentance is not only not doing the wrong, it is turning and doing that which you know to be the right thing to do. That is genuine repentance. It's as John the Baptist told folks when they came out to him and he was preaching repentance and and, and, and they said, well, what should we do? And he said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The man with two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He, he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. And we could go back to the Old Testament lesson for today, too, where it talks about repentance. Don't do that, but instead do this. Here's the right thing. So what would he say to you, John the Baptist? What would Jesus say to you? What's the sin that they would point out in you that you know needs to change? What would repentance look like in your life, 
if you were to do it? What's the wrong you need to stop doing? And the right that you need to start doing. Whatever it is, it's a tall order, isn't it, to change. I think Paul sums it up best as to how hard it is for us to change in these words from Romans chapter 7. For what I do is not the good I want to do, nor the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. What a wretched man I am. And then he asks a great question. Who will rescue me? That question brings us to the patience of God. Tall order or not, God is looking for change in us, isn't he? And that's not a question. That's a statement of fact that Jesus makes in that parable of the, of, the, of the fig tree, isn't it? That he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? You and I are that fig tree. And God is the owner of the vineyard. And he is looking for tangible evidence of change and repentance in our lives, also known as fruit in this parable. Do you know who the man is who's taking care of the vineyard in the parable? If you're thinking the common Sunday school answer of Jesus, you are right. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. Jesus does truly want us to be able to repent, doesn't he? And again, that's not a question. That's a statement of biblical fact. Ultimately, ultimately, that's why Jesus did all that he did and everything that he did, even to the point of dying on the cross. It was all for us sinners, for the forgiveness of us sinners, so that repentance could be met with forgiveness, so that there could be repentance because we know it will be met with forgiveness, and, and also that we could bear the fruits of repentance. Talk about the patience of God. Jesus is the epitome of God's patience. 
taking him all the way to the cross to suffer and die for us. Talk about being patient with a sinner. Go back to my grandson and the talk that I had with him at that bedtime. Caden, oops. <laughs> I knew I was going to do that. Just forget I said that. This little boy knew, and I knew. He knew I loved him uh, unconditionally. He also, I pray, knows that he doesn't need to become a truther in order to earn my love. That he knows he has my love. And he does. He does. And it is only in him knowing that he has my love, not that he's somehow got to earn it. It's only in his knowing that he has my love that it will be for him a possibility to change, empowered by that unconditional love, to repent and become a truther, not to get the love, but because he already has the love. We will change. We will repent. Not so as to earn God's love, because that will only end up with us being in a heap and a pile of frustration. We will change and repent because we know we have God's love. His unconditional, changeless love. We have that love. And it is that love that opens the door and that love that empowers us to repent and to have faith that forgiveness of sins that we have in Jesus Christ freely. That's what the parable of the fig tree is all about. The three years of waiting for fruit, those are the three years of, God, of Jesus' earthly ministry. That extra time that this taker of the vineyard asked for, that's the remaining time Jesus had before he went up to Jerusalem, to Golgotha, there to suffer and to die. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. Jesus is still doing that today so that you and I might repent. He is digging around in your heart and mind and fertilizing it. He does that every time we hear his word 
and read his word. He's digging around in our hearts and he's fertilizing it with his grace. That's the patience of God. Every time you come to the Lord's table and eat of his body and drink of his blood, that is Jesus again digging around and fertilizing in your heart and mine and your life and mine giving us the power and the strength to repent, to change directions, and follow him. And he answers our prayers to that end as well. Ask, he says. Seek, knock, and it will be given to you, and you will find. And the door will be open to you. That's the patience of God. From 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He also works in our lives to bring about real repentance through the word, through prayer, through the means of grace, through the power and working of the Holy Spirit that he has given us in our baptism. From Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And Paul goes on then to write this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. And that's all true because of the patience of God in Christ Jesus. You are under grace in and through Jesus Christ. You are forgiven of all your sins. That's the patience of God. You are under grace. He remembers your sins no more. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. You are under grace. That's the patience of God. And it is that patience of God, it is that grace of God, that unconditional love that we have in Jesus Christ of God that will enable you and me this week to identify the wrong that we're headed toward and turn toward the right, toward him and a way of life that honors him. And may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. Let's stand.